Oregon football's 2023 recruiting class has moved into the top 15 nationally on the 24-7 sports composite rankings. We'll talk about their two latest verbal commitments and also what does it take to get some big fellas up front because that is what Oregon needs most right now in next year's recruiting class. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why, if you haven't already, you should like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thanks to everybody out there who has done so already. Our numbers keep going up. They look great. Keep it coming. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. They are the official recruiting sponsor here at the network, and we've got our official recruiting insider. I'm sorry, who are you again? Uh, it starts with a J. J, J, right, right. I believe it is John Garcia Jr. is his name, the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated. It's been a minute, but this time it was my fault, not not John's fault, uh, that we haven't had him on in just a moment. So uh, let's hop right into it. And I have a big big picture question before we get into a couple of names. In your time covering recruiting, which has been extensive, that's why we keep bringing you on, is recruiting offensive linemen different? Because to me, it seems like it might be a little different in that there isn't always an expectation that you're going to play right away. I think it's actually built in that you're not going to play right away. And, and you know, you see offensive linemen transfer out of uh, a program now and then. Oregon had that happen this offseason. But I feel like it's not quite as common as the skill position guys because they're not expecting to get the ball anyway, and they just kind of have a, a realization of, yeah, I'm probably not going to be physically ready to play right away. Is that something that you see? Absolutely. Especially Spencer, as the game has modernized, right? It's gone a little bit more spread. So I think the type, the body type of offensive lineman you recruit nowadays is totally different. We used to see when I first got in the business, these kids were, were, were heavier, right? You're bringing in a 325 pounder that you say, okay, maybe let's trim that back to 305, 310. Now you're getting these great athletes because look, you need tackles to block these smaller Von Miller kind of pass rushers that are lower to the ground. So your offensive tackles now from a frame perspective are 6'6", 260, 275. So now you're putting on the weight and trying to maintain the length and athleticism that allows them to combat these smaller, twitchier pass rushers that have become so prevalent in just about every defensive front that exists. So I do think that, yeah, overall, in either case, the offensive lineman is – rarely physically ready to come in and compete at, at the power five level. So there is a different feel from a recruiting perspective in, in trying to court and sign ultimately one of these big time, uh, big time, physically big players uh, wherever they're from, you know, and it's, it's obviously less dramatic. It is less diva ish. If, if that makes sense, the process is very much more cut and dry from the offensive line perspective. They usually, get some offers, take some visits, and make a decision. Um, And and if it extends, it's because they don't know or maybe they feel like they're on the fringe of adding a a bigger offer or an offer, a dream offer, whatever it is. So it's it's really pretty cut and dry 
when you're recruiting offensive linemen. But in terms of the ability to win, it's it's really not as simple as some of those skill position players would would make it seem. You know, you you hear a kid commit to Georgia or Ohio State, and they're just like, yeah, you know, so much competition. They just threw 12 of these guys in the NFL at my position. It's it's so simple. Offensive line, you watch the NFL draft, and it's like Division two, Division three, uh, FBS, G5. I mean, it's all over the place because, one, it's the hardest group of, of positions to project, and two, like what you said, the physical demand, it just it creates so much – volatility right i mean the the projection is really hard to make because you don't know how a prospect is going to deal with adding 40 pounds or trimming 25 pounds it's really hard to project so it is really its own deal uh, for just about every program out there so not easy to win um, but not easy to sell either because it's it's really a long-term play for just about every offensive lineman out there and a great example of what you're talking about with the body type is the highest rated offensive lineman I think Oregon's ever had in Josh Connerly, right? He's six, right. six, five or so, but he's like 280 something. And we were talking about it when he committed about how, yeah, he, he's a really good athlete. He played basketball in high school. I feel like 10 years ago, you weren't going to have a lot of offensive linemen who were nimble and agile enough to play basketball. But Connerly now is a guy who you look at and go, yeah, he, he projects as a starting left tackle for, uh, you know, several years at the power five and maybe the NFL level, but he does probably need to put on maybe 15 to 20 pounds. Whereas like you said, a while back, it was the opposite. Whereas a guy's 330 and we want to trim him down to the 315 range. Offensive line, I was talking about extensively yesterday on the show as it pertains to the Georgia game next week, which is ever closer. And I just, I, I can't wait. I just, I can't wait anymore. I need it to happen right now. I need it right now. Um, <laughs> need all the college football right now, frankly. But Amen. the recruiting efforts uh, continue for for Dan Lanning, Adrian Clem, and the staff on the offensive line because that's kind of the, the biggest position weakness in terms of maybe defensive line, but there's more players there. We'll talk to, talk about uh, another one they, they could add in the coming months. Um, but offensive line pursuits are, are are pretty hot for the Ducks in that they're going after a number of guys because they don't have very many bodies at that position. I don't think they have any right now on, on the offensive line at this point in time. So uh, one guy who's who's worthy of following and is in the Ducks sites is uh, Spencer Fano. So where where does Oregon stand with him? Probably in, in the best standing of, of the offensive linemen that are still uh, uncommitted at this point uh obviously a kid you know who's already in that pac-12 footprint one who has uh taken you know several visits out to oregon there are a few other contenders uh, in the race but really I, I think the combination of him extending the process into the fall and like you said oregon having such a need there uh really bodes positively for both parties you know relative to, to oregon here i do think this is uh, not all but their race to lose because look it's a kid from utah so you never know with the utes and byu you know that that's always something that's really hard to go in there and win battles right there's just not a whole lot of examples of, of a lot of schools going into that state and, and winning big battles when both schools want the prospect and they do with spencer but there's just always been this sense that uh, he's willing to leave the state. There were other schools outside of that Pac-12 footprint that were getting involved at different points and felt good about their chances to potentially pull him out. But Oregon has been kind of the constant. You know, uh, Adrian Clem has, has been all over this kid, and I think that this is probably going to be the starting point of the offensive line class when Spencer's ready to make the call. Don't know if he's got some visits coming up that could potentially 
muddy the water a, a little bit. But as we sit in, in late August, I think most would consider this as Oregon's race to lose, which even to get in that position for a kid from Utah, I, I think it's a really big deal. Well, there's another offensive lineman that, that Oregon's been after for a, a good amount of time now that I'll ask John about after I remind you all that as you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. George Klyovkov hoping he doesn't have to enter that category here in the next couple of years. But post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks again for making Lockdown Ducks your first listen every day. The Ultimate College Football Preview is here, a seven-episode preview with college experts, local team experts, and Odyssey College Football Insiders. It's everything you need to be ready for the college football season in one spot, which is right around the corner. Search for Ultimate College Football Preview on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's keep rolling here with uh, John Garcia, Jr., Director of Recruiting for uh, Sports Illustrated, and another guy who Oregon uh, is in the mix for, but his crystal balls are currently directing him elsewhere, uh, is Logan Reichert, uh, four-star offensive lineman. Where does, uh, where does Oregon stand with him? Do they, do they have a chance to maybe come in and, and swoop him away, or is he going to stay committed to the Missouri Tigers? Yeah, you know, he's a Missouri kid, right? So obviously, and look, that's the same issue with Missouri is that we see with Oregon. Like they really need guys up front. So when you've got one in your backyard that you're able to prioritize, and I would say reprioritize as, as this year has gone on, that's going to be generally tough to beat, you know, the SEC sell and all that on top of it. But look, Oregon has been in this race and stuck it, its head in this race the entire time to the point that that is the only other option. You know, Logan uh, cut his list, uh, I believe, late last week. And it's just Oregon and Mizzou. So either you stay home and you're a Tiger or you go across the country into the Pac-12 and, and, and you become an Oregon Duck. They were the only two official visits he took. And really for the, for the last, I would say, month, month and a half, the only two schools he was really focused on. I was actually talking to him before he announced this final two and his commitment date, which is September 8th, by the way. And, and he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm announcing these two. I just don't know when. I think he was waiting on an edit to be made for him because, you know, it's important these days for, for the optics, I guess, with these prospects. But, yeah, it was really just those two schools. You know, he was he was really excited to focus on those two. And then this morning, because I knew I was coming on with you, I touched base with him. I said, hey, privately, September 8th is the public date, but privately, do you know? And he said, yes. So I know he took both visits and that doesn't give a whole lot else away. But in terms of, you know, the the thought of maybe the first weekend of the season having an impact or these late phone calls, we're not sure how much that will change his mind. So whatever he's made up, it looks like he's good to go privately at this point, uh, which probably pushes me towards the, the home state school. Just again, it's one of those where uh, if you know, you'll know sooner if it's the in-state school, in my experience. So I think if he was like, look, man, I still have no idea. It's really up to these two or we're going to see. I think you'd feel better about your chances from the Oregon perspective, which is why I think Fano is really important to land in this class because the two are built similarly. They're both, like we talked about, that newer build of offensive tackle. 
very, very tall, very, very lean, very, very long, both well under 300 pounds. And I think that is where you want to start to build this offensive line class uh, of 2023. And I think it's a good time to do it because not only do you need some bodies there, but now the season's going to begin. So you allow that group to who's on the bubble or, or on the margins to maybe be uh, an Oregon target. You let them potentially play their way into that fold. And you allow Dan Lanning, who, who we know – Coming from that Kirby tree and his his past, we know he's going to value that senior season evaluation. That is going to be important for every duck class going forward. It is a staple of of what Nick Saban originally built, what Kirby Smart you know started to build from that tree. The senior tape is the most important tape. A lot of other staff say the junior tape. This staff will be in that senior category. So you allow some of these offensive linemen, which again height and weight wise, you you have a little bit more time to bloom now. You let those seniors play up to that uh, during the fall, which is, of course, either just begun or just about to begin relative to, to where these kids are located. So I do think there's still a lot ahead for Oregon on the hunt for offensive linemen. And then you don't ignore the junior college ranks as well, right? Obviously, great juco ball in California, which is always important for Oregon anyway. So you wonder if there's some potential targets in, in that regard and in in those leagues out there as well. So still a, still a lot in front of the Ducks from the offensive line perspective. But like you said, absolutely a need that they have to address. I, I want to ask you about something you mentioned in there because I hadn't heard it before. You said that, that Saban and Kirby Smart come from the recruiting philosophy that you focus on the senior season tape more than the, the junior season. Is that the secret sauce to recruiting? Is that why they're just behemoths on, <laughs> on the trail and they get high four and five star guys like they're nothing? Yeah, I mean, it's part of it. You know, obviously, there's a whole lot of other resources and, and means to to get those jobs done. But yeah, I, I do think that there's a group of coaches, and it's probably 60-40 maybe in favor of, of the junior tape, but I think there's a group of coaches that always want to be kind of looking ahead and looking forward to the next thing. So you're focused on 2024 and getting those early identifiers out in, in that class, or maybe just all in on the final piece of the 2023 puzzle. But um, a lot of these kids, conversely, especially nowadays in recruiting and now NIL is involved and all this other stuff, a lot of kids have a different mentality, you know, once they feel like they've arrived. If, if they feel like they've arrived in, in the Nick Saban camp and in the Kirby camp, you're out. I mean, you, you have not arrived because you are in high school. So I think in that regard, your senior season should be your best season. And when you see a drop-off, which happens – I do think that there's it's just another red flag. So if it if that pairs with other other data points that these staffs have built with these prospects on the negative side, they can get dropped. I mean, there's not a lot of schools that have that kind of power, but you can get dropped and be like, man, this four car four star decommitted from uh, Alabama and he committed to you know Purdue. That that doesn't look right. And sometimes, no disrespect to, to Jeff Brom and those guys, sometimes that is part of the conversation where, look, the updated evaluation did not match what we saw in 2021. It, it should it should at least match, if not exceed, what we saw with of you as a junior. Because this is high school. You should be dominant if you're playing at Oregon and Bama and Georgia. You should be dominant. And if the dominance decreases, um, especially at a position of physicality, like in the front seven or a running back or whatever – it's a huge red flag for these coaching staff. So I just think it's it's a tribute to their philosophy, but also their staff and the amount of resources they have to check and truly update those evaluations because it is very easy and human nature for a lot of these younger coaching staffs to just move on. We got him committed, cool. 
we're done at offensive line. Let's look at the 2024 guys. Well, let's let's also refresh that evaluation uh, of the 23 group because it's still a long way before those guys see the field for your program. So I do think that's something that has lost some luster. It's it's not the sexiest thing and the funnest thing to talk about, but it's something that's very important in roster management because you want guys who are continuing to get better at, at especially at this level, right? You need to see that improvement. So yeah, they they really focus on that senior tape. I just like it on the record. I don't think you can talk about recruiting at all without it being sexy and fun. I mean, who doesn't love well, for us? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think for fans too, because recruiting is like a movie trailer preview. You're just selling hope and optimism and you only, you know, typically see the highlights. So you just see the good stuff and you think mm-hmm. about what it could be and you have to wait until he arrives until you get to actually see the feature film. But it's just all hope, optimism, and upside uh, on the recruiting trail for the most part. Some programs, you know, like Arizona State, falling way down on the recruiting trail for uh, various reasons, right? Then it's not. But if you're recruiting well, you know, guys might not always pan out. But it is selling hope and optimism. And I don't know. To me, that's I like I like the movie trailer thing. I, I might steal that at some point. You're you're allowed to. I permit you because you come on and give us such uh, great content. move to the defensive side of the ball. Amari Washington is kind of the next defensive line target for the Ducks. He's not, you know, one of the three big fish that, that I've been talking about in Samuel and Pemba, David Hicks, and Mateo Uyunglele, or that we've been talking about, I should say, right? Those are uh, three five-star guys, and I would really like to see Oregon get one of them. I'll be a little disappointed with the staff that has been put together and the way that they have recruited their past stops and whatnot, if they're not able to get one of them. But the defensive line commits have started to come in. Terrence Green, we talked about him. Uh, and they, they've gotten another, who didn't, I just am blanking right now on the other four-star defensive lineman that they that they, <laughs> that they just had. Well, are they uh, projecting he, Mixon at D-line or is he going to no, be No, no, Mixon, Mixon's at linebacker. There was, another, there was another defensive lineman in there and I just completely blanked on his name. I'll get it in a moment. But uh, Amari Gardner Washington, was early August. Gardner, yeah, Gar- Gardner, yeah. Mikhail. Yeah, three, three-star defensive lineman. Green's a four. Uh, Amari Washington's a, a four-star guy. What, what kind of player is he and in Oregon, where do they stand with them? Yeah, another modern pass rusher, right? Again, we talked about the sizes of these guys changing, and this isn't your 285-pound strong side J.J. Watt type of defensive end. This is a smaller, trimmer, twitchier player who's got the ability to put his hand in the dirt like those guys or stand up and be a true edge prospect, which would be more in the Kayvon Thibodeau mold. He's not quite there as far as what, what we've seen thus far, but look, a national offer list and a true national recruit coming out of Arizona. And his final four reflects that. I think it's Oregon, Florida, LSU, Oklahoma. So spanning the entire yep. country and, and multiple conferences uh, in that light there as well. And this one's interesting because it has had some fluctuation. He, it, it was like it was going to be a final group. And then Florida kind of finagled its way into uh, making it a final four as opposed to a final three. Um, he had taken visits to other schools before that point that felt good about their chances, and then they were eliminated. So I think when you look at the, the fluctuation, a lot of times it makes you think, okay, all things scattered, all things centered, right? So the more they're crazy, the more they're going to kind of come back home at the end of the day. And the only school in the Pac-12 footprint for an Arizona native is obviously Oregon in this regard. So I do think in that regard, it's it's good news uh, for the Ducks. Again, they've recruited the position successfully. We've, we've talked at length about the 
the kind of landing Lupoy you know, dichotomy, you know, in, in that approach, easy to sell those two with their track record and, and what they want Oregon to be here right out of the gates. So I do think, uh, again, especially relative to the geography here, you feel good about Oregon's chances. I didn't get an update on the decision timeline, though. I, I do think with a kid like this, generally, the sooner the better because uh, you don't know if he's going to take visits, more official visits, and, and really start to, to cloud uh, the, the focus a little bit. But uh, if he does elect to come off the board a little bit sooner, you feel better about the Ducks' chances. But even if he extends it, I do think they'll stay in the race all the way into the end. And like you said, they're building kind of this nice pass rusher class even before the, the quote-unquote big fish come off the board. And I'll give you a little extra here, Spencer. If we had to rank those three on probability – for Oregon, the big three, I'd go Uyangalale one, Hicks two, and Pemba three. That can change, but that's how the order uh, plays right now. I was actually DMing with Big Dave this morning, uh, trying to see, hey, you got any visits for me? And uh, they're flying somewhere, but it's for a high school game. I believe Bosco's playing Allen High School in Texas. So there you go. Uh, that's the latest from Big Dave. Gotcha. Himself. Yeah, I love I love Big Dave. I'm a huge yeah. I'm a huge Big Dave fan. I would take any of them, but I would love Mateo if not only to have Big Dave as as a, a parent for like for extra, extra insider, just all access all the time kind of uh, <laughs> yeah kind of profile there. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 excellent. Let's move to Oregon football's latest verbal commitments in the class of 2023. One linebacker and one tight end. Uh, we'll stick with the defensive side of the ball uh, for now and look at Jerry Mixon, the cousin of Joe Mixon, who's gone on to have a you know pretty respectable NFL career pretty, pretty to this good. point. Yeah, pretty pretty good. So uh, maybe some some good bloodlines here uh, for Jerry Mixon, three star out of the state uh, of California, uh, if if memory serves. Um, what do you see with him? And this one was a little bit unexpected for Oregon, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I remember when he committed, uh, our sister site over at SI uh, wrote the story and sent it to me. And I was like, Oregon. I, I didn't I didn't see that connection. But look, you, the more you look at him, you're like, oh, this this is nice. This is a really nice get. I, and, and like you said, cousin of, of Joe built like Joe, six, two and a half, 220 pounds. And like Joe plays everywhere in high school. I remember he was like the first big back that I was like, he like runs routes and catches the ball so well. And, you know, he then he was like Najee Harris's like mentor. And then Najee became that big back that catches the ball so well. And now you know, here's Jerry Mixon doing those same things. I just saw scrimmage highlights where he was playing wide receiver and went up for two contested catches in the end zone and made them with ease. And I'm like, are we sure he's playing linebacker? But that's a great thing. That's a great problem to have from the Oregon perspective, because this is a do-it-all athlete, tight end, wide receiver, running back, linebacker, defensive end. He does all of those things and does them to the point where he flashes at those positions. So again, just like with Joe Mixon and Najee Harris early on, in NorCal, it, there's not as many people in our business focused on those guys. So sometimes I do think there's the, the propensity to – to undervalue that crew. Uh, but when you're 6'2", 220, and you can play all those positions very, very well, you start to wonder, you know, what, what are we missing here in this evaluation? And then you watch him where he's projected at linebacker, and it's even more fun 
because he is a dynamic downhill player who can arrive with some force. I mean, he's just he's just a football player. I think that's probably his best positional fit. I think he can moonlight as a pass rusher, but he could also probably moonlight as an underneath coverage guy because the the range and ball skills that he shows on offense now tells us a different story about that ability. So I think he'll need to focus on one position to maximize that potential, but the frame, the athleticism, and certainly the bloodlines look really nice for the Ducks here. It looks like a really nice uh, – quote-unquote, under-the-radar fine for, for this coaching staff. And listed as a linebacker, but sounds like he should be listed as ATH athlete because yes. he can yes. he can, he can can move around Absolutely a little bit. Should. Never opposed to that. And I'm also, never, I'm also not opposed to that if he is going to play linebacker, that he's got experience at other positions because a, a lot of what makes a great football player on either side of the ball, but particularly on defense, is instinct. Right. And if you have an understanding of how route combinations work or the way certain running plays develop or what the running back is going to be looking for as the blocking unfolds, I think that can really be an advantage for a a defensive player. It's why, you know, quarterbacks can uh, change positions and go play safety. Because mm-hmm. what are you doing at safety? You're reading the offensive play. Well, what are you doing on uh, at, at the quarterback position? You're reading the offense and the defense and seeing how it all uh, comes together. I think that all makes a, a lot of sense. What about the other commitment, higher-rated, four-star tight end, Kenyon Sadiq, out of the state of Idaho? You just don't get a lot of guys <laughs> of that caliber yeah, out of the, the state of Idaho, not going up against premier competition like, say, Mateo is down at St. John Bosco in uh, the SoCal area, or even like Jerion Dickey has been the last couple of years in, in the NorCal area. Uh, but this is a guy who's got some some physical tools, and this is a really important get for Oregon because they were looking at a couple tight ends during the recruiting process for the last couple months. They missed on them, right? Most notably, Riley Williams, who probably would have come to Oregon had Mario Cristobal stayed, but he goes yeah. with him down to Miami. And this is the first tight end in the class of 2023 and a good looking one from what I can tell for, for the Ducks. Well, we just talked about it with Mixon. If you're projected to play one position, but we see you dominate and flash at others. If you are projected to play tight end and you're flashing and dominating as a split out wide receiver, that is exactly aligned with what the modern asks of the of the tight end position are. You want to be multiple and versatile. So he's got the frame at six four six five to to add some mass and be that kind of balanced tight end where he's in line, he's split out, he's in the slot, he's an H back, he's kind of lining up everywhere because look, tight ends are your fullbacks of the of the present now anyway, but. On the surface level right now, you see dominance at the catch point and at the apex, which means he's got some bounce to him. I I hadn't checked if he's a basketball player as well, but this is a windmill dunk kind of guy with the bounce that Sadiq shows on the football field. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. And, And like you said, he's from Idaho where you don't typically get the greatest competition. So what do we ask? What do we ask when you're playing low level football or private school ball in some of these states? Dominate. Go dominate. And with Sadiq's offense, it looks like sometimes, and I don't blame the coaches here, sometimes the plan is, hey, go ahead and run that nine route. We'll just tell the defense, hey, you're going to run this nine route, Sadiq. All right, you're good. This side, bet. Stay there. And even if the defense knows it's coming, it doesn't matter because 6-4-6-5 with bounce, ball skills, and the tracking ability is still too much. So you can either out-rebound the defensive back or out-jump the defensive back with that great frame, and and that's really where it becomes intriguing. There's even one play where he's getting just harassed, a pass interference and a half, if you will, still comes down with the football. So there is this combination of length, 
uh, body control awareness and, and the ability to track and finish at the catch point that's really impressive does that mean he's got room to improve in his route concepts and leverage and coming in and out of his breaks and all that stuff yes absolutely um, but again if you're a tight end you're gonna put some weight on him on top of that so i just think it's this is a raw upside type of pick for the ducks uh but if, again if you think of what kenny dillingham wants to do totally modern right i mean you, you want your tight end to move around and and kind of go nuts uh, i think trey mckitty was the tight end at, at florida state who was a kind of a tweener size wise but he lined up in the backfield as a wing split out attached and really did damage i think he's still in the nfl uh, at, at this point and he was not projected as such uh when, when he was in college uh so this is this is the type of gadget athlete that you can present as a tight end right now from a physical perspective but then you could also build him into more of a conventional tight end uh but but those physical skills with the ball in the air are undeniable and uh, when, when we talk about basketball on grass, that's that's a lot of, of what it's about. 50-50 balls and the back shoulder. It's it's positioning more than precision at this point. And these are the type of players that that win in those margins uh, come Saturday. So I really like this get. I was talking about instincts for players on the field earlier, but how about your instincts, John? A three-sport athlete is Kenyon Sadiq. He does play I basketball, also runs track, uh, and in the 100-meter dash, just a hair over 11 seconds, which Unreal. is real. Uh, not not bad for a guy who projects a tight end. Also worthy of note for Duck fans. This is a guy who can play wide receiver straight up and is not traditionally a, a tight end, right? He's not uh, the mm -hmm. Maliki Matavau mold who's just kind of big, bruising, like almost closer to offensive lineman than wide receiver. Terrence Ferguson, who I think could be an explosive player this year in Oregon's offense, and I like a lot. He was the same way. He did not play tight end really in, in high school, hardly at all. He was mostly a wide receiver, but he came to school. He bulked up a little bit, and now I think, think he looks really, really good. And our shows always bulk up in the best way when we get John Garcia Jr., Director of Recruiting for Sports Illustrated. John, appreciate the insight. As always, good to have you back. Always a pleasure to be on with you, Spencer. Take care, boss. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.